0: knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, it goes on, but I want to stop in verse 5. Pay close attention to giving all diligence to. That's what I want to focus on in verse 5. You know, when we're talking about the divine nature, I think we could probably say that those, at least in our English understanding, are really two strange words. Because when you think about this concept that Peter puts forward of having a divine nature, we take those two words and we separate them and we look at them independently. And we see on one hand we have the word divine. And we understand, for the most part, what that word divine means. It means of God. On the other hand, we have nature. And we think of nature as that which is obviously natural. We might think in terms of trees or mountains. So on one hand, we have divine, meaning of God. And on the other hand, we have something that in our minds naturally we equate with the earth. Um, And even though that's not the original meaning in this, it does kind of really set the stage for this concept of the divine nature because we do have this ability of God, this power of God, these resources of God living and dwelling and abiding within us through the Holy Spirit as believers, but we also have a natural nature, a, a natural tendency as people. As humans, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a sin nature. We all have a propensity to do wrong. We all have a tendency to err in God's Word. And so even though we look at those words, divine and nature, they kind of set the stage. We have the, the work of God trying to, to accomplish, God trying to accomplish His purpose in our life and through our life, but we see that difficulty sometimes because of our sinful nature of letting it truly be unleashed. And when we look at that divine nature, I want you to think about the concept and why this is really an important message and an important series for us. Because I think that oftentimes as a pastor and, 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 and Christians being in church for the most part, you might agree with this, is that we are very action-oriented. We tend to talk about moments. And maybe as in your individual Christian life, you may have a tendency to look at your Christian life as moments as as individual segments as as situations or scenarios as David versus Goliath as those scenarios that have worked out that you may have been able to be victorious and you may look back over your life your christian existence and be able to say man you know what i remember when god really came through on that or i remember when god allowed me or used me for his purpose in this or i remember a moment when god really brought this victory in my life and the reason why i think looking at this divine nature is so important is because we look at those things that are momentary those blips on our screen, on our timeline of our Christian existence, we tend to point to those high parts. But what God looks at is consistency. It's, it's similar to us saying we look at at-bats and games in our Christian life, if I can use a baseball analogy. We look at at-bats and games, but God looks at seasons and careers. And what I'm talking about and why this is so important is that when we're dealing with our nature, our tendency, what we find is that we do largely what our tendency is. Very rarely do we ever step outside of what is our nature. When was the last time you ever said, man, that wasn't in my nature? We don't say that very often because typically we are slaves to our nature. So when we're talking about the difference between action and nature, we have to realize that if we're focusing only on our actions and not our nature that largely produces those actions, we're missing the mark. What God, we, we think in those short momentary terms, but God looks at the overall picture. God wants us not just to change the action of our hands, He doesn't just want to change our spiritual batting average. He wants to change our career and our season by doing a work of transformation within us. So that when we're transformed and changed in here, it is largely going to affect the actions that we do. We can largely, you know, convince bad people to do good things. That's not what this is about. This is about a transformation on the inside. And this morning, what's so important about these first five verses is when we're talking about this divine nature, it is truly living the life that God designed. It is living life God's way, not so much with an emphasis on our actions, but the content that is within us, the transformation of God that is taking place in us, that He may change us in here and ultimately then change us through the actions that, that have come out from this, uh, the headwaters of the streams, if you will. And I want you to notice really quick the ingredients that are in play that God has provided for us. And it shows us in verse 2, he says, "...grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, as His divine power, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness." The first ingredient is this, that His divine power has enabled it. Now think about this for a minute, because what Peter is saying is that God has literally provided everything that we need specifically pertaining to life and godliness. He's saying that God's resources always match up to His will. His divine power, He has not just called us to live lives of virtue and godliness and true love and compassion and sincerity and worship. He has not just called us to that life, but He has provided for us, by His power, the ability to accomplish it. So when we're looking this morning at this divine nature and you're thinking, yeah, living like God sounds like a good thing and yeah, you know, that preaches well and yeah, you know, it's it's an all right concept. Let me remind you, none of us as believers have an excuse to say that we don't have what it takes to do it. Because Peter makes it very clear that it was by his divine power we have that ability. God didn't just give us, provide for us that power to do whatever we want. He provided that power and earmarked it in our life for the purpose of life and godliness. It says it's His divine power, and it's given. It's not something we earned. It's not something that, that, that once I got to a certain level of Christianhood, then God granted me then the power in order to uh, be able to live that life of godliness. It happened the moment when I was 12 years old in that small country church. It was that moment that God, when I trusted Him as my Savior and Lord, that His Holy Spirit came and lived and took up residence in my life. And from that moment, through the work of the Holy Spirit provided for me at age 12, God has given me and provided for me His divine power in all things pertaining to life and godliness. I can't do it myself. I, I'm, I'm a sinner by nature. I'm tendin', I tend I trend away from God. I, I turn from God naturally. I don't turn to God. I, I look more like the world naturally. I don't look more like God naturally the bible says in first corinthians chapter excuse me second corinthians chapter 5 if any man is in christ he is a new creation Old things have passed away behold all things have become new so as you consider and look back on your spiritual timeline when you can go to that moment or think about that moment when you first trusted christ as your lord and savior you were not just saved from hell You were not just sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were not just guaranteed a a place in heaven for all eternity, but at that moment, you were provided all of the resources you would need in terms of divine power to live God's purpose, His plan, His will in your life. The second thing I want you to see first is divine power enables it. He says down in verse 3 also, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. He gave us this power, how? Through the knowledge of Him. Peter uses, as he mentions oftentimes in chapter 1, the word knowledge. He uses two different words to describe knowledge in the Greek. The very first word he uses that we find in Peter's letter is a knowledge that refers to super knowledge, a high knowledge. And that's what he's praying for the believers, that they will have a great, large, encompassing knowledge of God. But the knowledge that he's speaking of here is not this large, full, super knowledge, epinosis. He's now referring to a a simple knowledge of God in that we know Him as our Savior that we know Him as our Savior. So that moment when I came to faith in Christ, and I came to the knowledge that God loves me, and came to the earth to pay the penalty that I could not pay through His perfect life, and willingly laid down His life and paid in full my sin debt, and rose again the third day, has ascended back to heaven and is one day coming to get me. When I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and receive that free gift as my own. I don't just gain a knowledge of God personally. But that through that gate, God then, through that moment of salvation, God then has provided all of the power that I need in things pertaining to life and godliness. To be a partaker of the divine nature. So, God's, God's power, His divine power enables it. And the knowledge of Christ gives it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there obviously, I don't even ask this question. Obviously, there are difference, differences of opinion when we think of Christ. Sometimes even in churches, we have an improper view of Jesus. And I think that sometimes what we find in, in our life, in my life, and in others I've heard people comment on this we get this idea that Jesus came to the earth to repair our lives, that he came to fix it up, that we were spiritually out of balance and he came to balance us. And sometimes it bleeds over into other areas. We say, "Well, well, Christ, you came to repair. You came to, to fix." And I want to just kind of split hairs for a minute and remind you of something. And why it's important, as it pertains to the scripture, is that Christ did not come to repair our lives. He came to remake our lives. He didn't come to just do maintenance on us in order to get this old ship going again. He didn't just come to change a few spiritual spare tires. He came to strip us down totally. He came to take away off all of the old nature and put on the new nature. So until we're able to really grasp that idea that Jesus didn't just come to repair, He came to totally remake and remodel. He didn't come to do maintenance. He came to do an absolute makeover on my life. And who I was is not who He desires me to be. And that goes all throughout my Christian life. He's always trying and attempting and working and providing to transform me more into the image of His Son. Look at the third thing. His power enables it. The knowledge of Christ gives it. And the third thing is in verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That through these, what are these? Are these the promises that he's speaking of? These exceedingly great and precious promises? Is that what he's saying that through these you're partakers of the divine nature? Or is it the rest of everything that he said before? The power of God, ultimately it's essential. His divine power is provided for us all things pertaining to life and godliness through a knowledge of Him. Obviously, that is essential to being able to live the divine nature. You can't live God's life without knowing God through Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to do it. So if God's power enables it, if God's Word brings it to us, or God's uh, salvation brings it to us, then ultimately the third thing is this, is that His promises feed it. His exceedingly great and precious promises feed it. We, in His power and in our salvation, have everything that we need in order to do it, it seems. But then He says, by these exceeding great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. The more I read those promises, the more I familiarize myself with those exceeding great and precious, invaluable promises of God's Word. The more I absorb those promises, the more I stand on those promises, the more I'm nourished by those promises, I'm feeding that divine nature the food that it needs. I've already got the power. I've already got the knowledge. Now when I'm growing in the promises of God's Word, I am feeding literally the divine nature. Now jump back to what I said earlier. On one hand, we have the divine nature through the indwelling Holy Spirit of the believer. On the other hand, we're still clothed in flesh that is sinful by nature. There is this difficulty between the two. There is this conflict between the two. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 that the Spirit and the flesh constantly are at war against one another. The Apostle said to the Romans, O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from the body of this death? He said, the things I want to do, I do not do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the the things I find myself doing. When I look at that battle, not just in the Apostle's life, but in my life, I have to ask myself as a believer, and I would want you to ask yourself this question too. If you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, Asked Him to be your Lord. And there's no doubt in your mind that you are saved. And you believe this promise this morning and have believed that He has provided or given to us His power in all things pertaining to life and godliness. Let me ask you a question. How much more like Christ are you today than you were yesterday? How much more, how much more have you been transformed into the nature, the likeness of Christ today than you were last week? This month, than last month. This year, than last year. Because the answer is this. Knowing that there are those two competing natures, which one do we yield to? Do we yield regularly to that lust of our flesh? Do we live for this world with our eyes on this world, with our hands at this world, with our heart for this world? Do we, are, we, are we conformed more to the image of this world or are we transformed more in the image of Christ? Where do we go? Which way is the arrow pointing? Are we going more to the world or more to God? And the answer is this you will know which one you yield to more by, the, by answering this, which one do you feed? Which one do you feed? Do you feed your natural nature by feasting on the things of the world, the attitudes of the world, yielding to sin regularly, enjoying, indulging in sin? Do we follow that path that Peter says is corruption of the world through lust? Or do we feed on the divine nature, the exceeding and great precious promises of God's Word? Do we feast on the Word? Isn't it amazing? Much of the trouble we get into as believers is not necessary, but it comes as a result of our neglect. Neglect of the exceeding great and precious promises of God's Word. Many of the great problems that I've gotten into in my Christian life have not been for any other reason than I have neglected the counsel or the regular study or an effective diet of God's Word because I started feeding my natural nature. Rather than spending time reading, absorbing, Chewing on it, nourishing my soul on the exceeding great and precious promises of God's Word. You may be a Christian, but if you are not regularly feasting on the Word of God, you're malnourished. You're feeding your nature, one of your natures, something. We're supposed to put to death our old nature. We're supposed to take it off. We're supposed to put the proverbial knife to the throat of our old nature and mortify it. That's what the Bible says. And live for God. His power has enabled it. The knowledge of Christ gives it through salvation. But His promises feed it. How serious are we about the Word of God? I have never met a Christian that was really serious about Christ that was also not serious about His Word. Never met that person in my life. If we're serious about God, if we're serious about living a life that is free from that corruption of the world through lust, if we're deciding that we're going to go God's way, we're wanting the best God has for our life, we're wanting to look and and live more like Him, not look at at at-bats, not look at games, not look at box scores, but look at seasons and careers. It needs to change in here. It's not about bad people doing good things. It's about God transforming our heart. Here's the fourth and final thing, and I'll spend a second on it. He says in verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. We're going to go through what each one of these are in the series, in in the weeks to come. But notice that word diligence. If we have everything that we need, truly, our diligence unleashes it. We've got everything we need, friends. Friends, if we are believers right now at this moment, we have everything we need to be a partaker of the divine nature. Everything. The only thing that lacks from us unleashing it is our diligence. We have His power. We have salvation, if you do. We have His exceeding great and precious promises. What an awful concept. What an awful thing to consider. That we would have every resource available to live the life that Christ called us to live and to not exercise it because we're not giving it attention. We're not serious about it. You know, I'm going to end with this. A lot of times as Christians, we live our lives, we exist as Christians with an attitude of risk management. We try to stay away from those things that are going to harm us. and We might look at things like that we might listen more attentively to a sermon because we know that it may it may keep us from being from doing something wrong we may look at it and say, yep, the Bible says this and I, and I want to stay away from this and I don't want this bad thing to happen. I don't want this to tear down my home. I don't want it to be built on the sand or, or whatever thing. And we spend a lot of time looking at decisions and making our decisions through risk management, trying to stay away from those bad things that can happen. But what if we flipped it around this morning? What if we did not just say, God, I don't want my life to not be one of corruption? I don't want, I don't just want my family to decay over living for the world. I don't want just my, my relationships to decay. I don't just want all this sin and bitterness to decay my heart and tear me down. God, I don't just not want those bad things, but God, I want the good things. Think about this. We can be partakers of the divine. Of God. Nature. I can't think. Of any other being. Created. That God said. I want this. To look like Jesus. That's awesome. We who shook our fist. In rebellion against him. We who were enemies, the Bible said, who had the poison of asps in our tongue. Those of us who rejected and mocked and have ridiculed him. He saves us. It says, I'm not just giving you a home in heaven, but I'm giving you everything you need to look and live like my son, Jesus. That's awesome. That's a privilege. The divine nature does not just keep us away from corruption, but it gives us an opportunity to reflect the glory of the one who saves us. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords says, Jamie, I want you to look like me and I'm giving you everything you need. Will we take that seriously? Will we allow the depth of the privilege and responsibility that that is to really, really burrow into our hearts today and say as a student, God wants me to look like His Son Jesus. As a a mom or a dad, as 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 a co-worker, God wants me to look like Jesus.